Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On April 18th, 12 storytellers share their stories with our audience at Holy Hound Tap Room in downtown York. Our theme for the evening was the great outdoors. We heard stories about outdoor activities like camping, fishing, kayaking, caving, skydiving, and visits to national parks. Allison Witherow won with her story about her family learning to live on a 40-acre farm. brother bought a 40-acre farm on the northeast end of York County. Their dream was to give a place for my brother and I to run around in the woods, live among nature, and eventually own some livestock. They had no idea what they were doing. (laughs) There was no manual for this. Uh, But, you know, eventually they learned. They learned how to care for the baby calves. They learned how to identify a sick cow. Um, They learned generally how to sort of care for the land. So fast forward a few years, you know, we had ended up having at any given time, 30 Scotch Highland cows, which are the shaggy red cows that you see in movies. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And one day, one of them uh, died out of the blue. We don't know how, we think maybe it was poisoned. We really don't know. So what they had learned from some farmer friends is what you do when a livestock animal dies in the area, you call a place called Valley Protein. And what they do is they process this large animal down to tiny pellets of dog food and feed it to Fido. Um, So we called Valley Protein and they came out and they assessed the situation and they decided that no, this cow that had died was too old. They couldn't make dog food out of it. So we said, okay, what do you do with a 1,000 pound dead animal? Well, you don't bury it, so what do you do? So in our case, we did nothing. Uh, we, we let it lay. Um, and, you know, spring turned into summer at the farm. We saw all sorts of new walks of life and some of the old ones. Um, new fresh calves were born, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Uh, we saw birds of prey that, you know, preyed on things that were smaller than them. We saw mammals that took what was available to them. We saw scavengers that preyed on the dead, dying, and weak. Uh, we saw the rodents that picked up the little bits and we saw the insects that cleaned up the rest. So by the end of the summer, all that was left our, of our 1,000 pound problem was a small you know, pile of hair and bones. So fast forward a few more years, I'm 18 now. I've had this, you know, this life of growing up among the woods and learning about the birds and the bees and the animals and all of that. And I decide I'm gonna go to school in New York City. And so I show up there you know, with my suitcase and I'm, I'm ready to go, um, but I had no idea what I was doing. There was no manual for this either. Uh, so I found that my 1,000 pound problem was that all of a sudden I was a farm girl in a city of eight million and I couldn't hang. You know, I didn't know the big words that my classmates used. I didn't come from the big fancy California prep schools that they came from. And I just didn't know. So, you know, like my parents many years before, 18 years before, um, I figured it out. And I started to learn that life was not so different from the farm that I grew up on 
to my new home of eight million. There were new fresh calves, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. That was me. <laughs> there were birds of prey that preyed on things much smaller than them. There were mammals that took whatever was available to them. There were scavengers that preyed on the dead, the dying, and the weak. There were rodents that picked up the small pieces, and there were insects that cleaned up the rest. And what I learned is that whenever you dive into something new that you have no idea what you're doing, if your first plan doesn't go as you thought, you can be rest assured that nature will surely take its course. Allison earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up is Sarah Doherty. Sarah recalled the family camping trip that nearly broke her father. Hello. Um, so I wanted to tell a story that took place in back in uh, like 2002. So I was about 12 years old, don't do the math, and um, we were on a family camping trip. And if you can kind of picture this, I am one of nine kids. Um, yeah, so we got into our 15-passenger van, and my dad was so excited, and my mom was so excited, and I'm one of the older kids, so we were not as excited because we were teenagers, and we thought we could have gone to the shore instead. So we were going camping. We got to Knobles. We were so, ex you know, they were so excited. We were just kind of like, oh, we're camping, whatever. Um, so we got our site, and usually what would happen is my mom, because I was the oldest girl, my mom would make me help with the babies and we'd go to some playground and we'd watch them play. But today my dad let me help with my brothers and I was so excited because I was kind of a tomboy. So we, my mom goes off and she's got the babies in the stroller and all and we get this site at the bottom of the, like, the mountain of um, Knobles and we were setting everything up and it was like really cool. You know, my dad, my brothers are like doing things that are so cool. They're throwing mud at each other. They're like, you know, making fun of each other. And I was like, yeah, I'm one of the boys. This is great. So we get this huge uh, tent set up and right then and there, there's this downpour and my dad's like, get it up, get it up. Come on, hurry up. And we're like, all right, all right. So we set up the tent. It's a huge tent. And we're like, all right, great. Well, just as the rain stopped, my dad's like, all right, great, good job. And then all of a sudden, this huge mudslide comes through. And again, we are at the bottom of the mountain, and it comes through this tent that we had just set up. And my dad's like yelling orders at us, but we were like, we don't know what to do. Oh my God, we're, I'm only 12 years old, <laughs> you know? So my dad's like, just get in the car, just get in the car. And we're like, all right. So we get in the car, and it is like radio silence in that car. And my dad is literally watching his tent get washed away. And we were like, oh, great. <laughs> so nobody says a word. And my dad punches the top of the dashboard, like, really hard. And all of a sudden, the, the top of the windshield goes, Pink. <laughs> And we were like, oh, shit. <laughs> no. <laughs> so obviously, the windshield didn't know my dad that well. <laughs> so my dad, my dad gets even angrier. And he's driving around the campground looking for my mom. A couple minutes later, we find my mom, and like she's pushing the stroller, and she's feeling the rain, and she's so happy. And my dad pulls up, and we're like, "Mom, snow!" And like he pulls, and she's like, "Hi, hon!" And my dad's like, "Get in the car!" And she's like, "Oh, okay. Like, what happened?" And then she gets in the car. We get all my little brothers and sisters in the car, and she, she goes, "What happened to the windshield?" And we're like, "Shut up, mom! No!" 
so this pretty much was the camp, the camping trip from hell. And uh, for the rest of the trip, they gave us a new site. Knobles was very nice, I have to say. I'm going to put a little plug in there for them. Uh, they gave us a new site. We got everything taken care of. Um, and through the rest of the camping trip, uh, one night our gazebo tent rolled over and broke. Um, it rained the whole time. We were just all miserable. One night my brother ate too many sm s'mores, threw up on my younger sister. She got so grossed out that she threw up on him. So <laughs> it was just, it was like a mess. And finally my dad was like, we're going home. And I was like, damn, this camping trip broke my dad. Like, oh my God, this man is broken. And we're driving home and it's silent. And I was like, we're all tired. Like this must have been, you know, this must be why we're leaving. No, that wasn't why we were leaving. My dad's like, on the way home was like, hey, just so you guys know, the reason we're leaving is one of our neighbors called us. The storm that we had while we were camping went back home. Our house is flooded. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we get home and I was like, oh damn, dad is broken. <laughs> we had to throw away like everything, like everything. It was so bad. So it was, it was definitely the worst camping trip. We had to cut it short. Um, but to this day, we still love camping, but we definitely don't fuck with tents. <laughs> Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Ann Davis, who shared a bit about her parenting style, which includes education by travel and experiential learning. Okay, I'm gonna tell you a story about how to raise two healthy children with a unconventional parenting style that was sometimes called healthy neglect, uns <laughs> unschooling, and love. So this style allows for a lot of flexibility. Um, we use travel as one of our main means of education, which is a really fun way to do that. And it also allows you to um, acknowledge different learning styles. My daughter is a real bibliophile, loves words. To this day, still, would the exciting thing in this room would have been this right here. Oh, those letters, they're beautiful. My son, on the other hand, not at all interested in letters, words, reading, or any of that. Very much one of those obsessive people that gets into something, and that's all he does. So we went through many phases of obsessions in our lives and shaped our education around his obsessions. Uh, when he was very little, farming was big in his world. We lived on a farm. We were not farmers, but we lived there, and he collected all of those John Deere little uh, wonderful, wonderful toys, and our living room was covered with um, that corn, the field corn, little bits of it all over the carpet, you know, and, and his combine would pick it all up, and it was delightful. And then he moved on to uh, knights and armor and castles, and at that time, Legos actually had little people. When I grew up, they just had the building blocks and maybe a window and a wheel. So we were moving forward in time. Uh, from, from that point, he then got into weapons. And um, from, yeah, re really good fun stuff, you know. Uh, pocket knives became throwing knives. And um, slingshots, the best of slingshots. Let's go out to Pincho and play with the slingshots. Great fun, I'm telling you, it was really wonderful. Um, from there, he then got into fishing. Don't ask me why, but fishing, you know, the drop and plunk kind initially, and then fly fishing, and then tying flies. And he even had a fishing museum and store 
in this lovely little shack by the road at where we lived, and he made money. Um, that particular year, our journey, our educational trip was Seattle 95. So we had a big old green Ford van, one of those big ones, you know. Uh, the back had a, a double bed in it, um, and then a bench seat and two front seats, car seats, seat belts, who cares? You know, laid down in the back and listened to your, you know, you all had your little, um, what were those called? Uh, yes, yes, we had Walkman, we each had our own, so we could listen to what we wanted. Um, anyway, because this was the fishing year, uh, our trip, we didn't have a GPS, we had an atlas. And we took that atlas and we planned our trip and we said, where are the bodies of water? All the way. So every stop that we had, whether it was for gas or food or bathroom or overnight, had to have a body of water near it. Day two, we had already swum in Lake Erie. There was another lake in Wisconsin that I can't remember the name of. Uh, we had been to Chicago, spent the night there. The next day we were on, we, we, were, we were at another lake. Dinner time, we rolled around. Here's the Mississippi River, okay? That's pretty cool. Right there where Minnesota cuts down, you know, that little point, Mississippi River, right there. Six o'clock, dinner time, we pull over one of those big cement tables there. We pull out the old camp stove out of the back of the van, cook up some dinner, and he's like, I got a fish, I got a fish, I got a fish. Well, I just eat some food, okay? He eats, runs down, healthy neglect comes in here, you know, go down and fish in the Mississippi River, okay? <laughs> He's down there, we hear this, I caught one, I caught one. I said, well, I should probably go down and catch a picture of this great fish. Um, so I go down with my Minolta, no digital cameras back then, wander down. He had caught one, had this, threw it back in, had caught another threw that back in. By this point, he's on, this is the third one, Mom. And he's pulling on it and pulling on it. I'm down there with the camera. And the fish gets off, and the hook comes up and lands in his eye. In his eye. This is true. And this is not your normal little hook. This is one of those three-pronged fishing hooks, you know, a three big thing hanging on his cute little face. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I take my camera off. Set it down. I get a picture of the rocks around the Mississippi accidentally. That's the only record we have of this wonderful event. <laughs> and we do have that in a photo album because you used to keep photo albums too, you know. So we have this lovely photo album. There it is. So what do you do? Your kid's got a fishing hook in his eye. So I went down and I grabbed his head and I held onto his hood and I yanked that thing out. And of course, I'm thinking, oh, everybody says you should cut the barb off. Never pull it through. Cut the barb off. I thought, why don't I even cut the barb off? And I'm not going to cut the barb out of this guy's eye. So I pulled it out. And his eye's still in. <laughs> and he can see. He can see really well. He's the only one that doesn't have glasses. <laughs> and we said, cry. Cry a lot. Your tears will really help. You know, they'll clean it out. And he cried. He cried really hard, and he cried a lot. And we didn't take him to a doctor because, you know, we had to get to the next place, and he seemed okay. So, you know, he went to bed in the back of the van with no seatbelt, and we traveled on down the road. And to this day, he's doing really well. Thank you. All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in New York. Tickets for our events are available on our website, 
yorkstoryslam.com and while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter at York Story Slam, as well as on Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. Our podcast is produced with support from The Beer Ace. Find them at thebeerace.com. This episode comes to you with support from this month's featured brewery partner, Great Lakes Brewing Company. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.